right, everybody, we're going to get ready to worship the Lord here at Grace Church in Franklin, Tennessee, here on Arno Road. We want to welcome all of you who are here with us, and we want to welcome those who may be watching by the Internet. The Bible says in Psalm 9, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O Most High. And that's exactly what we're about to do. We're going to be led by our brother Joshua Watts, and we're going to sing some praises to the Lord. Join us. Good morning, Grace Church. And everybody joining us by the Internet, if we could all stand here, oh, worship the King, number one, in the hymnal. Worship the King, all glorious above. seated and brother joe is it is it you who's doing the announcements today okay brother joe well good morning and welcome to worship services here at grace church would like to say a welcome to let's see we don't have any i don't think visitors here but we welcome all those who might be visiting over the internet. We want to uh, share some prayer requests with you. We want to remember our sister, Teresa Hargrove, who is to have some medical tests coming up soon. Also want to continue to pray for Ted Britton, who had bypass surgery. We want to continue to uh, pray for him for a speedy recovery. He is at home. And uh, we ask the Lord's blessing on him. Also, our sister, Pat Jackson, 
continues to have pain uh, in her legs and back. We want to remember her as well as for an evaluation coming for shoulder surgery. I have to stop and think about that every time. I'm sorry, but that's... <laughs> also want to remember our brother George Bishop, who is still uh, suffering with the post-shingles pain. It remains at a level five. And um, I wouldn't say anything to discourage him. But my mom had shingles when she was 90. She's 97 now, and she still has pain from shingles. So it could be something that's ongoing. So let's remember him. We're also glad to see our sister Shirley Murphy, but continue to lift her up. Uh, her shoulder continues to improve, and uh, we want to remember her with a heart rate that has been a little fast, but is, she's doing well. Also want to continue to pray for our brother Wally Haddon, who really has not had any change. They're trying to regulate his medications to help him, so let's uplift him and Mary as she ministers to him. Also want to remember uh, Betty Hethcock's son, Kevin, who is to have surgery on his second eye, so let's uh, remember him. I think this one is talked like maybe a little has a greater problem in the eye, so it may be a little more difficult surgery, so let's remember him. Uh, also want to remember Denise and David Sherlow. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, they visited with us recently. They're traveling to MD Anderson in Houston uh, for Denise to have some tests, so let's remember them also. Also continue to pray for uh, Judy LaPetri and Calvin. I want to remember Carl Perry's brother, uh, Bobby, who has uh, throat cancer that is spread to the liver. Also remember uh, Jaya McCarthy battling cancer and for her mom, Deborah. Uh, want to remember Howie Smith as he serves in the military. And also, you, you know the name we've been praying for in, for several weeks now. Uh, Todd's friend, Eddie House, uh, Pastor and I have known Eddie since he was probably 8 or 10 years old over at the Christian school. He was in my class back when we had the school, but the Lord took Eddie House home this yesterday and uh, pray for his wife, Jenny, and the family and friends uh, for the loss of this dear friend. And also would... Uh, remind you that if you would like to support the ministry of Grace Church, that you can do so. There's a offering box on the little round table in the foyer. You can put your gifts in that and um, worship the Lord with the gifts and offerings. It's not giving to the church, it's giving is unto the Lord. So we thank you. I'd also like to give a quick word of praise for Reagan and I. We we had just been quietly been praying about something. We had had a report after a first ultrasound that we had, uh, that Reagan had, that they thought they saw something that might be indicative of a heart defect in the baby, but we not something that we were real concerned about, just trusting the Lord with it. We had a follow-up ultrasound, and 
everything looks great, they said. So that issue is not an issue. We, we were just, uh, <clears throat> thank you, we were just praying that the Lord, we, we prayed over and over again that he might make something that seems to be an issue a non-issue, and that's exactly what he did. It's an answered prayer. So I just want to praise the Lord for that. Uh, 389, <clears throat> I, uh, I was thinking about this song this week and uh, <clears throat> thinking about, what pastor teaches and then what we heard from brother Bob a few weeks ago just about all that the Lord does for us he does everything for us and then we come to him and I was thinking about this hymn I am resolved such awesome imagery it says I will hasten to him hasten so glad and free that's what we do after the Lord calls us then that's how we hasten to him he calls us and then we go (laughs) think about that as we sing this a wonderful hymn I am resolved I am resolved no longer to linger by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, they have allured my sight. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus.
that, uh, that good? Think about that. <clears throat> how do you hasten? How can you hasten glad and free if the Lord hasn't already called you? No freedom unless you're already in Jesus. I, I just love that imagery. Can't you see yourself running to the Lord? I'm going to hasten to Him. Whew. That's good. 201. 201. Have you all had a good week? Where are the Fosters? Are they okay? Dr. Foster and Miss Linda okay? They're, oh, they're traveling. I might have missed that. He is able to deliver them. Tis the grandest theme through the ages rung. Tis the grandest theme for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest theme that the world e'er sung. Our God is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. Though by sin oppressed go to him for rest. Our God is able to deliver thee. Tis the grandest theme in the earth or may. Tis the grandest theme for a mortal strength. Grandest theme till the world again. Our God is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. Go by sin oppressed, go to him for rest. Our God is able to tidings roll to the guilty heart to the sinful soul look to God in faith he will make thee whole our God is able to deliver thee able to deliver thee he is able he is able to deliver thee though by sin oppressed go to him for rest our Four forty seven, I think we have time for one more. The Lily of the Valley. <laughs> Rather quiet day, isn't it? There must be a lot of people traveling this week. There's been a lot going on. Kids getting back to school and everything else. All right, y'all sing with me. I have found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. And he tells me every care on him to roll. bright and morning star he's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul he all my griefs have taken and all my sorrows born in temptation he's my strong and mighty tower i have all for him forsaken and all my idols torn from my heart and now 
now he keeps me by his power. Yes, sweet and Satan tempt me sore through Jesus I shall safely reach my goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Can y'all clap? He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live by faith to do his blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. With his manna he my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory, I'll see his blessed face where the rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. That last part again. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Okay, I think we're going to have some more singing. Well, regardless of who's here and who's not here this morning, we have to have the Lord here, don't we? We've got to have the Lord here. I think some of us sometimes feel like the old prophet Elijah who went out into a cave sent by the Lord, and he said, I'm the only one left. That old lady, <laughs> that old lady is anybody else serving the Lord. And the Lord sent him a message and said, No, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Here's the thing. I'm here, and you're here. Well, is that right? So we'll just pray for those who are not here. I happen to know that some are traveling, uh, toward the end of the summer, getting ready for the school. Seems impossible to me that this is August, but it is. And the second thing is there are some that are sick and ill. I received some calls and some texts this morning about some, some of our friends who are sick. And so we, we want to re remember them in prayer. And but we hope the Lord's here. Bob and Julie are on the side of the road with a flat tire. On on 96, he called me and said he had already called, is it AAA? And that he just wanted us to know that he wasn't here. He said he had a flat tire. And they're on 96 and Bridge Street. So I don't know how long. We I must have. I'd go maybe by and there's pick something up. that the Lord wants to happen this morning. I was getting ready to come in this morning. I'll just share a personal note with you. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting ready to put my suspenders on. I wear suspenders, especially now because I've lost about 30 pounds of weight and everything falls off of me. Put my suspenders on and it broke. And I'm talking about broke. I took them off, threw them in the trash can. <laughs> I hadn't put another pair of suspenders or jalouses on this morning. We're going to ask you to stand on this little hymn. This is an old hymn that years ago Dr. Gary Long taught us. He included me. He included me before the world began. Chose me for his own and heir of the throne. Oh, 
Father, we call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are so thankful that we are accepted in the Beloved, that Christ Jesus our Lord shed his blood upon the tree, sent his Spirit to call us to faith and repentance to bring us to him, that we might stand before you justified, cleared from all of our debt, he paid the debt we could never pay. We're gathered here together today in praise and thanksgiving to you, O Lord, for giving your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I pray that today somebody somewhere here or watching by the Internet will see Christ Jesus as their Savior will bow to him, will come to him, will believe on him, embrace him, receive him. We pray, Lord, that your name will be glorified in all that we do, all that we say, all that we pray, and all that we sing. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus for his sake. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I think we're going to do one more. This is an old song that I, I don't know why I associated it with Willie Nelson, but I've heard him. <laughs> it's called Unclouded Day. So you sing this with us, okay? You ready? Oh, they tell me I'm a home far beyond the skies. Oh, they tell me I'm a Tell me that. 
that can sing, we need a change in menu up here a little bit. So volunteer and come up here and sing. I know Joe and Beth can sing. <laughs> I've heard them. <laughs> no, we do. We do the best we can do, and we've got good musicians and good music and good audience people, y'all out there singing with us. But anybody that can sing and do something different, let us know. Play an instrument, anything. Okay? All right, Betty Hathcock. I know you can sing. <laughs> us this morning as we open his holy word uh, if you have a bible and you want to turn to genesis chapter 37 that's where we're going to be genesis chapter 37 for those of you watching by the internet you can get your bible and turn to genesis chapter 37 we're going to ask the lord to help us as we look into his word Father, I stretch my hand to thee, no other help I remain standing for just a moment and if you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 37 and today is study number six under the general theme of the story of Joseph and today we're going to begin to look at the dreams of Joseph. The dreams of Joseph. Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bila and with the sons of Zilpah his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet more. And he said, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance, bowed down, bowed in respect to my sheaf. 
And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dream and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and he told it to his brethren. And he said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now, as we have seen in our previous studies, Joseph is a faithful Christ-like man, a man whose character is impeccable. He's an innocent, transparent man. And of all the ancient patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph is the most godly of all those men. By definition, his name means Jehovah has added and it signifies increasing. And he was the firstborn of Rachel and the most beloved of all of Jacob's son. He's described in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 6 as a goodly person and well-favored. That means he was very handsome. He was a very handsome man, and he excelled all of his brothers in both outward and inward beauty. Because of all of his brothers, Joseph alone was faithful and fruitful. And as such, and I hope to show you more of this today, as such, he was a wonderful type of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone, our Lord Jesus Christ alone, of all the billions and billions of people born since the fall of Adam, only the Lord Jesus Christ was faithful. Nobody else has ever been faithful. He is really, he's the only one who can, of whom it can be said perfectly that he is the good and faithful servant among the children of men. Not any of the rest of us or anybody else who preceded us or will come after us have been good and faithful servants. Now, when we're introduced to Joseph here in the 37th chapter, and let me ask you this. I hate to do this because we're on the Internet, but is this microphone too loud? Okay. It seems like I have an echo up here. When we're introduced to Joseph in the 37th chapter of Genesis that we've just read from, you can see that he is only 17 years old. He is a keeper of his father's sheep. His companions are his half-brothers, the sons of the maids or the handmaids of Rachel and Leah. And no sooner are we introduced to him than he is faced with trouble. The thing is, he's not faced with trouble for doing wrong, but for doing right. He brought a word to his father Jacob, a report 
about his half-brothers, and it's called in the King James Version an evil report. It doesn't mean that the report itself was evil, that Jacob was evil. It means that it was a bad report. It was not one which you would want reported to your boss if you were looking for a race. <laughs> it wouldn't be a good report. That's what is meant there. It's called an evil report because from their perspective, it was evil because it told the truth about whatever they had been saying or whatever they had been doing. And to make matters worse, Joseph's brothers knew that he had told their father about whatever it is they had said or done. And this brings us to verses 3 and 4. We learn from these two verses that the brothers of Joseph were very jealous of him, and they were jealous of him for a couple of reasons, maybe three reasons. They knew that Jacob loved Joseph in a special way, a different way, than he loved the rest of his sons. You say, well, why is this? Well, I think there are there are two and maybe three reasons given. One reason is stated here, and one reason is implied. The stated reason is in verse 3. Joseph, Israel, Israel is Jacob. Jacob had his name changed to Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Now, I don't want to get technical with you. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I do study the Hebrew, and I do study some of the scholars, and they say that literally what this is saying is not just that he was the son that was born to him when he was old, because Joseph had another brother that was younger than he was. Who was that? Well, that was Benjamin. Benjamin was born to Rachel, too. And so he was really the son of his older age, but what it's literally saying here is that Joseph was a person that although he was an innocent man and a transparent man and a man without guile, he was a man that had unusual wisdom like an older person. Okay? And we're going to see this here momentarily. He, he, had, uh, he, he was a son that had wisdom like a man in his old age. Now, uh, that's the, 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 the stated reason here is the son of his old age. The implied reason that Jacob loved Joseph in a different way, or as it says in the King James, more than he loved his other sons, was that he was the firstborn son of the woman that Jacob really and truly loved, his chosen wife, Rachel. You might remember that, that uh, Jacob worked seven years for the hand of Rachel in marriage. You remember that? But he was tricked into marrying her older sister Leah. Then he had to work seven more years to have the hand of Rachel. And then Laban threw in, Uncle Laban, he threw in two maids uh, Bella and Zilpah. And, uh, and so Jacob was tricked into having children by them also. But the woman of choice, the woman that he loved, the woman he had chosen was Rachel. And this is probably 
the implied reason why Joseph was his favorite son. Also in verses 3 and 4, we see that Joseph has given his father a report, a bad report regarding the conduct of his brothers, and of course his brothers didn't like it. And this displeasure is combined with envy, I hope to open that up to you in just a moment, because they sensed that Joseph was favored over them by their father. And they so hate him, it says right here in verse 4, that when they do speak to him, it is in a hateful in a hateful way. It says they could not speak peaceably unto him. They couldn't say, how are you doing today, Joseph? They didn't, they didn't speak to him at all. They ignored him. And when they did speak to him, it was in a hateful way. Now, I could give you some lessons, some lessons for parents about why his brothers were like this, and maybe I'll just touch on them. But I, I will suggest a couple of things. I think these brothers that hated Joseph, first of all, I think they are revealing the standards and the characters of those who raised them. You might remember how dishonest and deceitful Uncle Laban was. He was the one who deceived Jacob into marrying both of his daughters. And then you might also remember the deceitfulness of Rachel, who stole Laban's idols, gods, and, she, and hid them in some camel furniture and sat upon them. And then when Laban came looking for them, she pretended that she was unable to rise up because she was not well. And so she sat upon those gods that belonged to Uncle Laban. So she was deceitful also. And here's something for you parents to remember, just briefly. First of all, you should remember that children are bent in a certain direction while they're very young. If you take a tree, for example, and bend it toward the ground when it's very small, and you tie it with a rope to a stake, it'll have a crooked place in it, and that crooked place will remain there as long as that tree lives. And it is like that with children. If we bend them in a certain direction, they will likely be affected the rest of their lives. Now, the good news is thank God for the grace of God which can alter and even erase our mistakes with our children. You know, Solomon says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So at birth, they have a proneness, they have a tendency to be little rebels, and we need to remember that little bitty children are not little saints, they're little sinners. <laughs> and so they remember, remember that if they're bent in a certain direction, they are bent in a certain direction at birth, and then we can add to that. The second lesson I'd bring to you briefly is that children learn more by example than by verbal precepts. In other words, don't do as I do, do as I say, never works. Mother and dad must set the example because they will do as you do. They won't do what you say, but they will do what you do. And what you deem important will be valued by your children. And what you lightly esteemed, they will lightly esteem. If the things of the Lord, including gathering together with others for worship, is important to you, if you'll set aside other things in order to be at worship, you'll find that that'll have a great impact on your children. 
But if you can put aside worship and put other things in its place, you'll find that your children will do the same. If you can fill by a little bit regarding the truth, they will too. The major problem with children in this country, in my opinion, is that they either have no parents or they might as well have none. Neither the school system, the government, or law enforcement can correct what is taught or what is not taught at home. The third brief lesson is this. Other children, like the older children, older children can have a lot of influence over their younger brothers and sisters, whether good or bad. So you older children, (coughs) you need to be careful of what you do and what you say in the presence of your younger brothers and sisters because they will imitate you. They will follow you. They want to be like you. So set a good example for them. Lesson number four, children who are not allowed to do something, children who are allowed to do nothing will be good for nothing. Joseph and his brothers were all workers. Everyone had a job to do. And as our grandmothers used to tell us, idleness is the devil's workshop. Jobs and chores not only keep us out of trouble, but they give us a sense of usefulness, a sense of accomplishment, and they often aid us in finding what we want to do in life. So teach your children and teach them the difference between what's free and what's free for nothing. (laughs) We need to learn the lesson, nothing is free for nothing. When these things are advertised as being free, there's a hook in there somewhere. Somebody somewhere had to pray, pay for it. The grace of God doesn't even come to sinners freely in the sense that nobody paid for it. Christ, our Lord, had to pay for our salvation. So teach them the difference between free and free for nothing. Don't do everything for them. They'll never feel responsible for their homes or for their rooms or for their house in general if they don't have to help keep it up. Everybody who lives in a home has a responsibility. Now, none of us have any perfect homes. I don't want you coming in uh, to my office. I just cleaned it up. It's a lot better than it was, but it's still not what it ought to be. And sometimes other places in the home. But that, that's not to excuse us or to excuse anyone else. Five, number five, and lastly, it's not wise for parents to make a, a difference uh, between one child and another. A family government should be impartial and it should be consistent. And when a difference is made between children, those children will take notice of it and they will resent it. Well, let's get back to Joseph now. Joseph is distinguished by a special coat given him by his father, Jacob. Now, this coat that was given him was not more costly, but it was a coat that a person of distinction might wear. It was a long-sleeved coat. And as I mentioned in the last study, and I'm going to mention and enlarge a little bit today, it was the significance of this coat that angered Joseph's brothers. It wasn't because it was a bright coat with many colors. It was because of the significance of the coat. And what was the significance of it? The coat meant that Jacob intended to transfer the right of the firstborn to Joseph. You see, Jacob's three oldest sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, had disqualified themselves. 
Simeon and Levi caused an entire village, the village of Shechem, to be destroyed. And Reuben disqualified himself when he lay with Billah, Jacob's concubine. So it would be quite logical to bestow the right of the firstborn upon Joseph. Well, like an overripe fruit, this jealousy and this envy only needed an occasion to break open, and Joseph provided that occasion in the form of these two dreams. So let's look at them. Verses 5 and 8, first 5 through 8, is the first dream. Now you notice it says that, hear this dream that I dreamed. It says, verse 7, said, We were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and your sheaves stood round about, and bowed down in respect to my, to my sheep. Now, each sheaf represented a brother. They were all working, and each sheep, sheaf represented a brother. Joseph's sheep was exalted. It arose and stood upright, and the other sheaves bowed to Joseph's sheep. Okay? Then you have the second dream, verses 9 and 10. And when he says, look, uh, the second dream I had, it says the sun, the moon, and the stars bowed down. The 11 stars. Well, that that definitely tells 11 stars. I mean, how many boys are there? 12. And Joseph is number 12 for the sake of our illustration here, and he says the sun and the moon bowed. That represents his mom and dad. They bowed, and all you eleven brothers all bowed. And when he told this second dream, he told it to his father and to his brethren, it says in verse 10. And it says, and his father rebuked him. His father rebuked him. And he said, you mean to tell me that I and your mother and your brethren are all going to come bow down ourselves to the earth? But then it says this. It says, but his father observed the saying. Now, let's interpret these dreams. The meaning of the first dream, verses 5 through 8, that that dream is certainly the meaning of it is not a mystery at all. In fact, his brothers interpreted the dream themselves correctly. Verse 8 Notice their response to it. Shall you reign over us? Shall you have dominion over us? They interpret the dream as saying, we are going to all bow down to you. Now let me open it up a little more. You see, I don't know what translation you have, but here in this King James Version, it says, shalt thou indeed reign over us. Now, this is a Hebrew word, malak, and it means to be exalted to royalty. It means to have the power and the authority of a king or a queen. And so they interpreted this as saying, Joseph will have the power and he will have the authority of a king over their lives. He will determine whether they live or whether they die. Thumbs up, you live. Thumbs down, you die. They will be in his hands for good or evil. He will reign over them. Then he uses a second word. Look again. Shall thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion? 
shalt thou have dominion over us. This is a different word. This is a word, mashal, and it means to govern like a governor. In other words, as a sovereign governor, Joseph's dream says that he will determine what each of his brothers have and how much they have. He'll determine their livelihood. He'll determine the means of securing the necessities of life. All of that will be in his hands and at his disposal. <laughs> now, what in the world you can understand? They already were jealous of him. They already envied him. They already hated him. And this just increased it, as we're going to see. Now, let me ask this question. What's the nature of the reign and the dominion of Joseph according to the dream. Well, look at verse 7. We were binding sheaves in the field. Now, see, everything in God's Word is significant. So, binding sheaves in the field has to do with food and the necessities of life. Binding sheaves in the field. This is corn, or this is wheat, or this is some other crop which after reaping is bound together into stalks or sheaves. What's the message behind the binding of the sheaves? Well, there are two messages. There's a message of joy and thanksgiving, and there's also a warning. Now let's look at it first of all as a message of joy and thanksgiving. During the time of harvest, farmers will bring in the sheaves, the stalks, of uh, cut or harvested grain. And when they bring it in, they bring it in with much rejoicing because the Lord has given them a good crop. He has blessed their planting and their watering, and they bring it in with great joy. And we sing the old hymn, Bringing in the Sheaves. It's written in 1870. I researched it a little bit by a guy who'd been a farmer and became a preacher. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And that, that song is based upon Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. And here's what it says. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126. So you see, this is a message of joy. This is a message of binding the sheaves of thanksgiving and joy, thanking the Lord for the crops, thanking the Lord for the harvest, thanking the Lord for His blessing. We can be thankful for what the Word of God tells us about sowing seed and bringing in the harvest. But the second message is this. It is a warning. It is a message of warning. Let me read some passages to you. The first one's from Galatians chapter 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now let's not forget the many parables that our Lord Jesus Christ told us of a fearful binding of the damned. For example, in Matthew chapter 22, in the parable of the king that made a wedding for his son, it's in Matthew chapter 22, 
Some of the people, when they were invited to the wedding, they made light of it. And other people who came to the wedding were not dressed appropriately. And then the Bible says this in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man that had not on a wedding garment. And he said, friend, how did you get in here not having a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. And he said to, the, to his servants, the man who's giving the wedding said to his servants, listen to this, bind him hand and foot. Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then there's the parable of the wheat and the tares found in Matthew chapter 13. The wheat represents the children of God. The tares represent the children of the wicked one. And when the servants reported to the owner of the field that there were tares, weeds, darnel weeds, literally, growing among the wheat, he said, well, an enemy has done this. So then the servants asked him, do you want us to go out and pull them out. You want us to go out and pull out the weeds, pull out the tares. And the man replied, and I'm reading from the Bible, no, if you pull out the tares, you might pull out the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the tares first and tie them in sheaves for burning, but bring the wheat into my barn. You see, it is, my, it is not my job to try to pull up the tares. I want all of you to remember that. <laughs> I'm going to deal with issues. I'm going to, I deal with issues here as they are found in the Word of God. But it is not my job to try to determine who's a, who's a sheep and who's a goat. Who's a wheat and who's a tare. Who belongs to the Lord and who doesn't. It's not my job to do that. Because if I do that, I might end up hurting the wheat, hurting the sheep, hurting the people who belong to Christ. We'll let God's Word do the dividing. And whatever is not divided in this world, there will be a division made when the end of the world comes, according to our Lord Jesus Christ. So this dream of Joseph may be seen as an encouragement we shall come rejoicing, bring in the sheaves, and it may also be seen as a warning. It's an encouragement for Joseph, because I guarantee you later on in his life, he's going to remember this dream. When he's going through all of this stuff, he's going to remember this dream. But it's a warning to his brothers. And you'll notice that the first dream only concerned his brothers, but the second dream concerned his mother and his father and his brothers. And this means that there's a sense in which Joseph is going to be the savior of his entire family. Now let's consider the impact of these dreams. According to verse 4, verse 5, and verse 8, his brothers hated him. Now they already hated him because of what they perceived as favoritism, but they hated him even more, it says in verse 5, they hated him yet the more because of his dreams. And then if you can believe it, their hatred was increased even more by the second dream. It says in verse 8, they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And that word hated is a very strong Hebrew word, sonei, and it means intense or passionate dislike. 
as the kind of attitude one would have toward an enemy. Notice this. I'm talking to you now about the impact of his dreams. First, his brothers hated him. Secondly, his brothers envied him. Look at verse 11. And his brothers envied him, but his father observed the saying. This Hebrew word means a resentful, now this is kind of complicated, but I think I can break it down. This word konal means, translated envy, it means a resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. In other words, we not only are, don't want them to have what the Lord has blessed them with, but we want to have it, and we want them to have nothing. That's part of envy. Envy is associated with covetousness. Some people use it synonymously with jealousy, but there is a difference. Jealousy is usually joined with suspicion, but envy is associated with covetousness. Envy is usually caused, and we need to examine ourselves here, Envy is usually caused by a dissatisfaction with ourselves, with our own self-image, with our low self-esteem, with our feelings of inferiority. And so when we feel inferior, then we envy others. Now, the way you cure envy is not by hating others who have things that we want and wishing they didn't have it and we had it instead. The way to cure that is by doing better. Just determine that you will do better, and then the status, your status will be improved, and you'll find that your attitude toward others will be improved. So there are two impacts. They hated him, they envied him, and the third one, he was rebuked by his father, according to verse 10. Now, I believe this rebuke was a gentle rebuke, because he realized that Joseph was young. He's only 17 years old. He is naive about a lot of things. And I think Jacob did this in front of his brothers, in front of Joseph's brothers, to lessen the offense that his brothers obviously showed. So we have the revelation that although his father gave him a gentle rebuke, it says he kept the dream in mind, verse 11. So here we have the revelation of the impact that these dreams had on Joseph's family. Hatred, envy, and rebuke. Now, notice this. Let's look at verse 8 again. His brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? Now watch this phrase. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. What that tells us is they didn't like the dream but they especially didn't like the way Joseph told them of it. <laughs> Something was very offensive to them about the manner in which he told them of his dreams. Now, isn't this exactly what irritated the Jews when Jesus spoke to them? He told them that one day he was going to be exalted over them. He told them that one day they were all going to bow down to him and confess him as Lord. 
When they asked him about the, the, uh, the Sabbath, Matthew chapter 12, his disciples and Jesus were going through a field of corn, and his disciples reached out and got some corn off the stalks. And so the Jews said, well, they're not observing the, the traditions we have here. You're not supposed to be picking corn on the Sabbath. And Jesus replied by saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? It means I determine how the Sabbath is to be used. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Read it. It's Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Mark chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 6, verse 5. And what do they think of his reply? What do they think of his response? Let me quickly read this to you. Matthew 12, 14. The Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. Sounds like Joseph's brothers to me. Mark chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Sounds like Joseph's brothers to me. Luke chapter 6, verse 11. And they were filled with madness... And they communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Oh, did he upset them when he told them that one day they would bow to him, they would confess him as king and governor over them. And the brothers of Joseph are perfect pictures of the Jewish brothers of Jesus who were filled with madness and were continually plotting how they might rid themselves of him. And who, like the brothers of Joseph, planned to do, they were the cause of his murder. When the Jews asked Jesus about Abraham, he said, I'm the one that Abraham saw as Lord and Savior. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And then they, when they basically called him a liar by saying, look, you're not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham, he replied before Abraham was, I am. That's all in John chapter 8. What he did, he, he took to himself the title of the name of the God who called Moses and created the nation of Israel, the great I am. And we know they understood what he was saying because the next verse says they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself. Jesus said he was greater than Solomon. He said he was greater in wisdom, greater in glory, greater in authority. I could apply all of this to Joseph. Joseph was wiser than his brothers. He ended up having more authority and power than his brothers and authority over them. Jesus said about Solomon in Matthew chapter 12, the queen of the south. Now who is that? That's the queen of Sheba. The queen of Sheba shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He said to his Jewish brothers that one day they would all see him coming in the clouds of glory with the angels of heaven escorting him. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. He told them that he would be coming to judge the earth when the Son of Man shall come in glory and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He said that all who are ashamed of him and his words will be eternally ashamed when he comes again in great glory. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and adulterous generation, 
Him also, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And listen, he said that the angels of heaven were his angels. <laughs> and they did his bidding. Listen to this passage from Matthew chapter 24. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall elect, uh, he shall send them with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Imagine a man saying, those angels in heaven, those are my angels. And they do my bidding, and they're going to come when I send them. They hated Jesus just like Joseph's brothers hated him. The Scriptures are full of all these passages. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, I, I had a friend, and I'm, I'm, I don't mind telling you I'm greatly disappointed. <laughs> and I sometimes share some of my experiences. Uh, how many of you have read Arthur Pink? Have most of you read Arthur Pink? Arthur Pink wouldn't use any illustrations except Bible illustrations. He wouldn't use any illustrations from his own life or the lives of others. And I'm tempted to do that sometime because they always can be poked full of holes. But there was a friend of mine who was invited to open the Congress in Washington, D.C. with prayer. He was invited to come up and to pray, open the Congress. But he was told, you cannot pray. You cannot mention Jesus. You can't pray in the name of Jesus. Now, my friends, listen to this passage. God has exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus... At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee in heaven, every knee in the earth, every knee of things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus the Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's found in your Bible in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9, 10, and 11. At the name of Jesus. Listen, we can get a conference together of ministers and pastors in Franklin and Nashville. We can get Muslims, we can get Buddhists, we can get Hindus. We can get atheists and infidels, and as long as we just use the term God, we'll be fine. Because everybody defines in their own mind what God means to them. But when you say Jesus, you have reduced it all to one common theme. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man come to the Father but by me. I am the door. If any man enter in by the door, he shall be saved. Well, my friend went up there, and he didn't use the name of Jesus, and that's why I'm disappointed. I'll tell you something else. I don't want to be chasing rabbits here instead of finishing my message. I'll tell you something else. There are two very, very popular pastors that are on television. 
They're on television right now. You, can, you could have seen them this morning. And you'd be shocked if I told you which one I'm speaking of here. Two of them were over in Israel when President Donald Trump moved the headquarters of Israel to Jerusalem. You remember that? Remember that? Okay, they invited some pastors, well-known pastors and TV evangelists to come there. And one of them prayed, and when he prayed, uh, and there were Jews present there, Jews who were high in the government of uh, Israel, uh, ambassadors and all of that, and one of them, when he prayed, he prayed like he always prayed. He prayed in the name, we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. But the other one would not. The other one prayed in the name of something of the everlasting king or something like that. He would not mention, and from that time I hadn't listened to him anymore on television. Any man that's ashamed of the name of Jesus is going to be in trouble in the judgment day. Any man that's ashamed of the name of Jesus will not be found among the wheat and among the, uh, the sheep. He's going to be in trouble or she will be in trouble. It is at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. At the name of Jesus every knee in heaven, earth, and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us never be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Now let me close by suggesting three reasons why the Lord gave these dreams to Joseph. Three reasons. You might can think of more, but these are three major reasons I think the Lord gave these dreams to Joseph. Number one was to encourage and to strengthen him in the future. Yes, he's going to reign, and he's going to have dominion over his brothers, but his reign and his dominion won't just drop into his lap. Do you have your Bibles open to Genesis 37? All right, you can see right here that he is how old in verse 2? He's 17 years old. 17 years old. Now turn to Genesis 41. Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. Verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. 30 years old. Uh, what's the difference between 17 and 30? That's 13 years. 13 years. So yes, he's going to reign, and yes, he's going to have dominion, but it's not going to just drop into his lap. He's going to have an abundance of trouble on the way to his reign and his dominion. He's going to be sold by his brother. He's going to be sold again to a servant of the Pharaoh. He's going to be tempted to sin by the beautiful wife of his boss. He's going to be put in prison out of spite because of a lie by the same woman who tempted him. He's going to be forgotten by a fellow prisoner, a servant, a servant of the Pharaoh, whom he will help in prison, not to mention all the heartache of a stolen future with his father and his family. 
He's going to be in a foreign land, not knowing whether his father's dead or alive. He's going to be a prisoner for no reason. You see, the Lord has a way of preparing his people for the things they must endure and suffer, the things they can't see in their future. For Joseph, it was a period of trouble which lasted 13 long years. Now, young people often dream of riches and success, but not of what it takes to get there. We often dream of prosperity and pleasure, but not of the trouble related to prosperity and pleasure. And this is probably why we have such difficulty dreaming of our own death. Eddie House, who left this world yesterday about, I think it said 836 or 833, I've known him since he was a little boy, it's difficult to believe that he is gone, but he is gone at the age of 53. He just turned 53 years of age. Now, Eddie had a pretty, he had a pretty successful life. He was, uh, came up in the Franklin Fire Department. He retired from there. He went down to Spring Hill, and he was helping them down there in their fire department, had a, had a second career. And maybe he saw all of this years ago when he was a little boy and knew he wanted to, to be in that area of service in the county, but he didn't see all these other difficulties. He didn't see that. And this is why we have such difficulty dreaming of our own death. This is probably why the Lord doesn't always show us by what means we will leave this world. Because if we knew when, where, and how we would leave this world, we couldn't enjoy all the blessings in between now and our death. And so the Lord hides that from us. So in a way, we're like Joseph. We look forward to being with our Lord in heaven. This is a good aspect. When you're in trouble, if you're like me, I was in the critical care unit in uh, July of 2020. When I was down there, I can honestly say (laughs) I didn't have a worry in the world. Not a worry in the world. Because I'm in the hand of God. And you're in the hand of God. And you know what? I'm thinking of where I'm going to be. I'm going to be with my Lord. I'm going to be with Him in heaven. And those visions of ruling and reigning and praising Him throughout eternity sustains me in all the trouble I go through here. You understand me? So the Lord gave this dream to Joseph because when he was getting in trouble, lied about, thrown in prison, all of these things, he probably sat down many a night and said, Lord, you told me in those dreams what my future was going to be. So I'm going to keep doing the best I can wherever I am. He was the best prisoner that they had, and they put him in charge of all the other prisoners. He did the best he could do wherever he was. But that dream sustained him, I believe that, throughout all those long 13 years. And we ought to be sustained while we're going through this world 
Because if you're a human being, you're going to have trouble in this world. You may have financial trouble, you may have health trouble, you may have mental trouble, you may have other kinds of trouble, but if you're a human being, you're going to have trouble. But let the dream that the Lord has given you through the Lord Jesus Christ of our future in heaven, let that sustain you through all the troubles here. The Lord gave these dreams to Joseph to encourage and strengthen him. And he gives us visions of heaven to encourage us and strengthen us on the way to heaven. The second reason the Lord may have given these dreams to Joseph was to humble Joseph's brothers. They hated and envied Joseph already, but you know what? Listen, this is really something here. They are made to hear of the will of God for them. Later, we're going to see Let's, I tell you what, turn to Genesis 42. Turn to Genesis chapter 42. I heard a man say recently that he had a friend that every book, I think this was a woman, that every book she read, the first thing she would do is she turns to the end, she reads the last three chapters. She reads the last three chapters of any book. And he said, why in the world do you do that? That's the strangest thing I've ever heard of in my life. She said, because if the last three chapters aren't any good, the rest of it isn't. So see, we have the advantage. We can go back and look at the end of the Bible and see what the end is going to be. The end is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be triumphant. The end is going to be that he's going to rule and reign and we're going to be with him. So what we're doing here, we're cheating a little bit. We're moving ahead in Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42, it says in verse 6, And Joseph was the governor over the land of Egypt, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Now, my friends, they are told back in Genesis chapter 37 what their future is going to be. And they, with all of their power, resisted that. And they said, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. We're never going to bow to you. There it is in chapter 42. Just like people say, we'll never bow to Jesus. Well, it ain't over yet. It's not over yet. The Lord has sworn every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Bless God, it's going to happen. It'll happen in God's own good time. Even his father Jacob said, Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? Oh, you read it right there in Genesis 42. My friends, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl who has ever lived will bow to the Joseph of heaven. And either we will bow in grace now, or we will bow in judgment later. That every knee is going to bow. Here's the last reason. I will hurry and let you go. The third reason that I think the Lord gave him these dreams, the first was to encourage him, the second was to show that in spite of all the resistance of his brothers, he shows his brothers, 
He humbles Joseph's brothers by showing them what their future is going to be. And here's the third reason. He did it to reveal to his brothers, to Joseph, to Jacob, to all of them, who is in charge of the affairs of men, and especially in the affairs of the Lord's people. Now, I want you to think about this. I've already hinted at it. Joseph's brothers correctly interpret his dream. You can see that in chapter 37, verse 8. Shalt thou indeed reign over us? They know what the dream is saying. They correctly interpret the dream, though they were enemies to the accomplishment and the fulfillment of it. And they unwittingly foretell their own future, though they are bound and determined that what Joseph's dream will not, under any circumstances, happen. If you interviewed any of them, they would say, if I have anything to do with it, the dreams of Joseph will never happen. But they did. They bowed down, didn't they? Now, do you believe that a person can be made to say and even fulfill what he doesn't agree with? <laughs> That's kind of a trick question, isn't it? I'm going to hurriedly tell you where this is, and you can look it up yourself. You remember in the book of Judges, there was a guy named Gideon. Judges chapter 9, Judges chapter 7, I'm sorry. Judges chapter 7, verses 9 through 15. Gideon was a scaredy cat, and the Lord drafted him to lead Israel to victory, and he's the one that said, well, now, Lord, if you're really choosing me, I mean, let me put this fleece out here and make it wet, make the ground dry, and so the Lord did that, and the next day he said, now, Lord, <laughs> well, how about making the fleece wet and uh, let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet, and so the Lord did that. And later on, Gideon said, I don't know, uh, the Lord said, look, I tell you what, uh, get all these men to come down here and cross the Jordan River. And he said, uh, every, every one of them that goes through the Jordan River and just laps up water like this, he said, you put them over here, and the ones that stop and get down on their knees and drink like this, you put them over here. Now, all the ones that went through and did this was a majority and the Lord said, send them home. He said, you got too many. You know how many he was left with? 300 men. 300 of them got down on their knees. And why did they do that? Because those were mighty men that weren't afraid of anybody. And the Lord said, if I let you win this battle with all, against the Midianites with all these men, you'll think you did it. So I'm going to just give you 300. 300, okay? Well, with those 300, Gideon, of course, he had doubts. <laughs> because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Midianites, when you went up on a hill and looked down in the valley where they were camping, it looked like the city of New York. You couldn't count them, or the city of L.A. You couldn't count them. There were so many of them. They had horses and camels without number, and he got 300 men. <laughs> See, God is a majority. He's a majority. So what happens, Gideon said, I don't know. So I, the Lord said, okay, Gideon, tell you what I want you to do. You take a servant with you, and you slip down into the camp of the Midianites. 
And I'm going to give you a proof that you're going to be successful. And so he slipped down into the camp. Let me read it to you, and I'll be done here. It came to pass the same night. I'm reading from Judges chapter 7. The Lord said, Arise and get down unto the host. I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go with your servant down to the host, and you shall hear what they say. You'll hear what the Midianites, the people that you're going to conquer. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened to go down to the host. So he went down with Furah, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host, these guys that were armed, ready to fight. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitudes. And their camels were without number as the sand by the sea for multitudes. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that said, You know, I had a dream. I dreamed a dream, and a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and hit the tent and knocked the tent down and overturned it, and the tent lay completely flat on the ground. And his fellow, this is, this is the Midianite now, his fellow answered and said, well, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hands has God delivered Midian and all the host. Here a man confessing that the God of Israel had given the victory to Gideon. And God made that man say that. Listen to this now. And when Gideon heard the telling of that dream and the interpretation of it, he fell down on his face and he worshiped. And then he returned to the host of Israel and he said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the host of Midian into your hand. You don't think God can make people say what they're going to do and what they're not going to do? What about Pharaoh? Even for this same purpose, I raised you up that I might demonstrate my power in you. My name might be declared throughout all the earth. I think I can say without stretching it too far in closing, without stretching it too far, that all who believe in Jesus as the Christ are part of the dream of our Savior. Our Savior has a dream that's ordained of God Almighty. They don't ask me to explain these things. I don't know how to explain it. Because I believe every man is free to do what he wants to do. You're free to do what you want to do. But God's free to do what he wants to do. And it's going to be done. I tried to show you that this morning. The safest place, I keep telling you this, the safest place to be, whether you're healthy or sick, whether you're broke or rich, the safest place to be is to learn to say, not my will, but thine be done. That's the safest place to be. Don't be saying, I don't care what, what's happening here. I want this. No. Lord, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to do all I can. But in the final analysis, may your will be done. I can also say that dreaming of heaven will strengthen and encourage us in this world of woe. No doubt Joseph was encouraged 
to press on when he remembered these dreams. And I'm encouraged to press on when I remember that this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Heaven is my home. And so when things aren't going well, I'm encouraged by those promises of being with Christ in heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. I believe that. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Let's stand together. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, asking you to bless your word and to encourage your people. And Father, to make those who have not come to Christ, who have not believed upon Christ, to put in their hearts a longing for salvation, a longing to believe on the Lord Jesus. Oh, help them, O oh Lord, that they might believe on Christ, because as he has told us, he, our heavenly Joseph, all of these things that he pronounced will come to pass. We wait upon thee, O Lord, to work out your perfect will in our lives and in the lives of this world. We ask you to help us to whatever state we are in, therewith to be content and to glorify you. In Christ's name I pray for his sake. I ask Amen. All right, uh, I'm going to dismiss you without singing today. I'm going to let you go. Our song is Under the Blood of Jesus. We sing that every week, but I think I've kept you long enough, so I'm going to dismiss you. Be careful out there. They're talking about uh, resurgence of some of this coronavirus, so don't get careless.